we have long said American Indian movements of cultivation. The housing crisis is a result of former mayors and former council representatives, current and previous ones, failing to honor and utilize the law to protect people of Los Angeles, including HCID, neighborhood councils, and city planning. Renters have been harassed and displaced and not afforded the renters' rights. Homeowners are redlined by the banks in the neighborhoods and predatory banks for closing illegally. So to sit there in silence and to not vote today, thank you, consider it. Abolish, appeal, and erase 4118. It's modern day genocide. If you sit there in favor of this, we, the people, will make sure that we unseat you, remove you, and remove your death vote. Hey guys, this is Chris Roth here with Bushido Squirrel with your weekly knock activism wrap up. Today we're going to be talking about more amicus briefs that are coming through the pipeline, uh, an anti-anti-vax bill that made it through the uh, state legislature and uh, caused quite a bit of controversy on the on the in the process. Uh, we've also got a bunch of updates about the cops uh, and a uh, some good news relating to a housing project up in CD12. Uh, as well as a little bit of information relating to PG&E and a settlement that they've reached uh, with their, their insurers, seeing as we haven't really talked about them in uh, quite some time. And uh, they're going to probably be in the news a lot coming up in the, in the coming months. And uh, yeah, so we should be aware of what's going on there. How's it going, Bushido? Uh, it's going well. It's been uh, an amazing week of climate action across, like, not just the country, but the world. Uh, I want yeah, to shout out real quick. Uh, Sunrise Bay Area held an amazing demonstration that basically shut down the financial district in San Francisco. Word. Activists painted an entire block with just amazing murals on the street. Like, you can see some of the bird's eye photos of it. And it's just beautiful work that was done really quickly. And also, one of our Sunrise LA hub members, uh, Ruby, was up there uh, standing on the line, risking arrest. I don't know if there were arrests that happened. I haven't been able to follow up on that. But a bunch of people put their bodies on the line. And I got to say, like, Dave Anthony, who also runs uh, another really cool podcast, The Dollop, uh, which y'all should listen to, was tweeting about uh, how he texted his sister, who he said is not political, and was like, hey, look at this thing going down in the financial district. And his sister's like, yeah, I took my 16-year-old daughter there. We're a part of it. Yeah. So like, the climate crisis <laughs> is the thing that's finally, I think, going to be what breaks the water on the dam to allowing the, the U.S. to actually move yes. left. You know, hopefully, if le at least, you know, culturally, if not politically in this next cycle. But, like, people get what's going on. You can't ignore it. Like, we got a rainstorm yeah. out here the other day in Phoenix. It hailed in September in Phoenix. That's not normal. Like, that shouldn't mm. be happening. And it was the same storm that came through and flooded Houston. So we got, like, less of it oh, than shit. Houston it got. Wow. But people okay. are seeing, like, these weird and wacky weather patterns that don't match up with what they've been used to. And, like, every summer is getting hotter. The winters are getting colder and more freezing. The, the storms that are destroying crops in the Midwest are consistent every year. Puerto Rico keeps getting slammed by massive tropical storms year after year after year. Like, it's mm -hmm. not hard to see the writing on the wall. And I think people are finally waking up to it. The unfortunate thing is because of the intransigence and outright like lies of our ownership class and our political class, we're really laid off the blocks on this one. But I think 
people are beginning to see that we have to act now, that like having an iPhone might not actually be worth destroying the planet for generations to come, and are, are beginning to like listen to the voices that have been ignored and cut out of the media for a long while. So I'm really excited and hopeful by this stuff, and I'm going to be out tomorrow morning at ASU for their climate strike walkout. Um, so by the time you're hearing this, I'm going to be out hopefully leading some chants and te teaching people how to sing and seeing what we can do about you know, making ASU a more sustainable and progressive place, which is a huge lift because it is a college that gets millions of dollars from the Koch Brothers Network. Like, they have an entire, like, freedom school that's funded by Koch money there. And the, the administration at ASU made the decision a long while ago that they would rather take dirty billionaire money than serve the people of Arizona. And we really, really need to change that. So I'm excited to like get out there with YDSA ASU and Sunrise Phoenix and all of the other groups that are helping organize this and creating turnout for this and, you know, making some noise and seeing if we can't like get some people to get active and get on board. So, you know, I'm having like a super exciting week. It's just unfortunate that it's taken the death of our planet to get there. Uh, but, yeah. you know, whatever moves people, I guess. Uh, what about you, Chris? You were up to a really exciting week from what I could tell. Like y'all made the news <laughs> and stuff at City Hall. Yeah, uh, we basically had a, uh, a pretty significant turnout on Tuesday. Uh, and when I say pretty significant, I mean we packed that hall full of folks. Um, so, so much so that there, there was definitely no seating room available uh, for all of the folks that showed up, uh, you know, around. I mean, like, so basically, if you're not used to going to any meetings at City Hall, the first half hour, 45 minutes is going to be spent doing any number of presentations. Uh, this last week, it, it seemed like it took even longer than that. It felt like it was uh, at least a solid hour of presentations, um, mainly relating to uh, Rosh Hashanah, which it was really interesting seeing like folks seeing folks that were uh, involved in what was going to be happening later in the meeting kind of getting heckled a bit during the, the Rosh Hashanah presentations. Uh, and people, it, it was just a weird and very uncomfortable mix of protesters uh, booing Mike Fuhrer as he's talking about, uh, you know, the need to uh, be kind to your neighbors uh, as there's just this, you know, this cognitive dissonance between what he's talking about with Rosh Hashanah versus what we knew was going to be on the agenda later and I don't think that the other folks who were up there for the presentations uh, really knew quite what the context of was of why they were why mm -hmm. there was heckling going on. So it was a, a bunch of um, a bunch of Jewish people that were looking very confused uh, as they were talking about a Jewish holiday. And one of their one of the people that was standing alongside them was getting uh, heckled. It was just genuinely pretty weird. But. Uh, after that was all handled and we got into the meat of the meeting, it pretty much immediately went on to this, uh, this agenda item that was explicitly laid out as being a discussion item that was not going to be carrying any votes. Uh, and this was done pretty much, uh, we, we assume that it was done because there was uh, a lot of contention and uh, there's, there's a, a general reticence within City Hall to have issues move forward where there isn't going to be unanimity in the vote as to what to do about things. So the, the, uh, the discussion got pretty intense. Um, we, we actually saw Mike Bonin uh, taking the lead in calling out the, the current proposals for the modifications of uh, 4118 
uh, C and D. So 4118 is the Los Angeles City Municipal Code uh, relating to sitting, sleeping, or lying on the sidewalk. Uh, it's been rendered unenforceable in the city of Los Angeles at night uh, for the, what, like the last 12 years at this point. And because of a uh, decision in the Ninth Circuit Court, the uh, basically the city has to come up with a way of modifying this. So we've talked about this a couple of times, and we're going to be talking about it a few more times, I'm sure. Um, but the, the, the proposed amendments to 4118 Section C and D, Bonin very clearly and accurately called out the modifications to Section C uh, as an equivalent to a, a stand-your-ground clause that would put... Uh, an incredible onus on the unhoused population to basically avoid people at all costs because there are anyone who has any kind of like a twitchy uh, trigger finger or anything else and they, they have any kind of a, uh, a, a desire to, to react, well, not necessarily even a desire, but if they've got any kind mm -hmm. of a, an, a, a latent fear of the unhoused or any other kind of racial bias or whatever, if they were to react in any kind of a violent way, the uh, proposed modifications to 4118 section C would explicitly give them permission to do so. And then the, uh, the onus would be like the, the legal ramifications would all fall on the person who ends up uh, getting assaulted because they made someone feel uncomfortable. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's been described as, as a stand your ground law for homelessness, yeah. and it, it makes no sense. Like the, the wording in it is freaking terrible. Like, and I, I can understand, it like, absolutely is. you know, not enjoying somebody aggressively panhandling, like, that can be not a great experience. But we have assault and battery laws on the books already. Like, we don't need this extra step of criminalization. If somebody punches you when they're asking for money, like, they've committed a crime. There's no reason to give yeah. this extra, like, you know, Becky coming out of the yoga studio doesn't like the way a guy looked at her, and now suddenly that guy's in handcuffs and heading to Men's Central because Becky felt uncomfortable. And it, it completely violates, you know, the whole reasonable person standard that we tend to use in laws. There's no way to know what any person's uh, standard for feeling threatened is going to be. It's, it's just, and it's so specifically targeted at people who are already down and out. And I think that's the part that really gets me is we only see arrests for unhoused people going up as a demographic in the city. And this is just going to increase that trend or would if it gets passed. It, it absolutely would. So the uh, basically the, the proposed changes for 4118 Section C, which is what we're talking about here, uh, those were pretty roundly decried by various members of the council for being like way like uh, beyond the pale, many, many steps too far. Um, but it, it was interesting hearing uh, um, um, one of the members of the city attorney's office actually justifying what was going on. Uh, with this proposal and, you know, coming out with the story that basically this was a, a slate of potential modifications to 4118 that would potentially bring it into compliance with the Boise ruling um, because it would explicitly, it, it would narrow the definitions of where people can sleep. Uh, but it really missed, her, her interpretation really missed the fact that uh, when you put all of them together, as Mitchell Farrell did, and you say this is the proposal of like all of these things, the overlap and the amount of just, uh, you know, the, the end result was a, a complete uh, criminalization. Like there, there was a map that got brought in um, by someone from the Los Angeles Legal Aid F Foundation uh, that showed 
the red spaces on the sidewalk blocking off in a, in a 10 foot radius relative to building entrances and driveways. When you add those in on top of the, uh, you know, 500 foot ban from schools and from daycare centers and from, uh, any, any new homeless shelters or, uh, the, the public right of way when it comes to school paths, uh, when it comes to bike paths, when it comes to all like, and, and any parks, when you factor all of that in, it ends up resulting in a effectively a, a blanket criminalization that is tantamount to just saying you can't do it anywhere. And so showing that in like a, a physical copy and showing the number of people that we had come out, they only they limited us to just have 20 minutes of public comment and did not. Uh, not a single person got up to speak in favor of the 4118 uh, proposed modifications. Every single person who got up to talk was demanding a repeal of the 4118 altogether and also pointing out the, the, the rampant, uh, the just unabashed cruelty uh, in the proposed modifications and how awful it was. And it looks like we actually won them over for the most part. The, uh, or at least everyone, scared them. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> that's entirely possible. Um, but by showing up and by being present and having those kind of very reasonable, uh, angry but very reasonable demands of like, this is bullshit, what are you trying to do? Uh, it seems to have probably worked in terms of at least rolling the the level of the uh, the cruelty in these proposed modifications back. We're going to see how it goes at the next Homelessness and Poverty Committee meeting, which is where they're supposedly going to be talking about this, although I don't know if it's actually going to be agendized for this next one or if they're going to wait uh, another couple of weeks to try to avoid stirring the pot as much. I don't know exactly what's <laughs> going to end up happening, but we'll see. Um, yeah. I mean, regardless, the protesters uh, that were there on Tuesday, I know I know a bunch of them, and I know that a bunch of them are going to be showing up at the next Homelessness and Poverty Committee hearing to talk about it, regardless of whether or not it's on the agenda, because that's what the public comment period is for. Like, if you've got the the structure of the agenda laid out in front of you, the public comment period, you get a minute to talk about whatever non-agendized item you want and then you're supposed to get a minute for each of the other uh agendized items although if they've got like 20 things on there they still limit you to like three minutes of uh total comment even if you want to talk about all of them because otherwise the gadflies would get like 45 minutes to talk at each of these hearings um anyway so the the, <laughs> the uh the result was that uh we got there were pictures of a bunch of our allies in the LA Times. Uh, lots of discussion about how this was not uh, not a good look for city council to have introduced the uh, the amendments as they were. And we got folks like Marquise Harris Dawson and David Rue to basically backpedal publicly uh, on the record from their previous uh, yeah go ahead type sentiments from the homelessness and poverty committee hearing where this, these amendments were originally introduced. So it looks like we're making progress. Um, but you know, this fight isn't over. So we're going to have to hold their feet to the fire some more and really demand, you know, the only reasonable step to take here is like, look, 4118 is just a stupid, stupid law that shouldn't be on the books and we need to just repeal it. Uh, it's, it's yep. just, it's just so blatantly cool and it's it's unnecessary and unhelpful like we have 
rules when it comes to maintaining like ADA access and everything else that, that already cover this, uh, the, what it should be is if you want to police the collection of people's items, like, I mean, we've got, we've got to be a hell of a lot better about it in the first place, but those are a much more appropriate, uh, thing to do is like, you know, dictating where people are able to keep their, keep their stuff on the, on the sidewalk, but dictating where a person's body is allowed to be, uh, during certain hours is just, it's just so stupid. And it's like, this is not the way that you can, if you, if you, if you, if you want to introduce meaningful changes to try to increase access to services and try to get people out of their circumstances of having to live on the streets and avoid, uh, you know, any, any kind of interaction with law enforcement because it, it's so very much negatively impacts their, their, uh, survival on the streets. Uh, Doing this kind of enforcement is is totally contradictory to trying to make progress, and so yeah, and and very much very much like the car sleeping ban, the LAPD yeah. uh, was brought in to calm things down. This time they didn't make any arrests because I think they learned their lesson the last time that it's not sympathetic to arrest oh, people yeah. even when they're making a scene in this situation. Uh, but it's also like uh, it has a very not chilling effect on speech. Like moving in LAPD at the car sleeping ban just angered people more and had people turn out in even greater numbers. So yeah. I think you know council is getting the message that clamping down on speech in this decision and like clamping down on people isn't helping. We also saw with the county board they kind of tried to shush and make the the public uh, uh, fur go away or furor go away and what it ended up doing was just creating a whole bunch of sympathetic photos and videos of people standing up for their unhoused neighbors uh, yeah. the city the the county board rather still filed the amicus brief and we just received word th uh, I think yesterday that uh, Mike Fuhrer uh, whose name is very much like fur uh, <laughs> also filed an amicus brief uh, without consulting city council he kind of I guess went ahead and pulled the trigger himself uh, but it's it's right in line with this 4118 and in the Martin v Boise decision so let's talk about that one because uh, yeah it seems like we're handing this decision to Kavanaugh at all and that seems like a bad idea like a really bad idea yes very much so um, yeah so as you as you said Fuhrer has uh, Mike Fuhrer the city attorney uh, has decided to follow the example of what the County Board of Supervisors did, um, despite being fully aware of how contentious that vote was and being present at City Hall when the on Tuesday when we had protesters demanding the repeal of 4118. And like literally what, what you were referring to just a, a moment ago, when as soon as Mitchell Farrell started talking about what was what his proposed changes were and trying to rationalize this, uh, folks got very angry and uh, started chanting and uh, actually moved forward toward the the dais and in a way that, uh, like you said, the LAPD came in and manhandled uh, at least one of the protesters to force them back behind uh, the uh, the velvet ropes that are used to you know, delineate what space is, is available to the public the, and what space is not. The most powerful force field in the world is velvet ropes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So... Uh, Mike Fuhrer knew that this was not something that was going to be popular and he just went ahead and did it anyway. Uh, and basically, so for a little bit of context, uh, what 
the Ninth Circuit judges, the majority of the judges found in this Boise versus, or sorry, Martin versus the city of Boise, uh, what they ruled was saying, quote, as long as there is no option of sleeping indoors, the government cannot criminalize indigent homeless people for sleeping outdoors on public property. On the false premise, they had a choice in the matter, end quote. So this is, this is what the decision is, is about. And there, there is a little bit of leeway as far as uh, and flexibility for cities to um, make reasonable uh, demands and, 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 and legislation that does, uh, you know, limit where people are allowed to sleep at night. Um, but the, the, <laughs> the mechanisms that the city is currently pursuing are, are, are totally not uh, in line with what the judges were asking for. Uh, and a lot of people made very clear and cogent points relating to this. Um, but so in explaining what f he was trying to do, Fuhrer wrote, uh, quote, the city requires clear and practical guidelines on the proper scope of its authority to strike the best possible balance in our shared public spaces. Boise does not give that requisite guidance. So this is what he's saying, but simultaneously it was his office that proposed these changes to 4118 C and D and suggested that the city make them. So it seems that he's got a pretty freaking clear interpretation of what it is that he wants to do. And then going out and asking for uh, clarity from the Supreme Court and, you know, Brett Kavanaugh and uh, Neil Gorsuch to make a determination as far as what needs to be done. That's, this is what he did when he filed this amicus brief. Uh, and he did it in a way that like he didn't, it wasn't legally required that he get permission from counsel to do this because that is within the purview of his office to file this brief on behalf of the city of Los Angeles or rather the people of the city of Los Angeles. But by he, going he didn't consult the people this, of the city of Los Angeles no, either though. Clearly. He just kind of like <laughs> pulled the trigger himself. Yeah, exactly. So it, it, it's, it's, it's a really just, Frankly, it's a bullshit move on his part, and it's cowardly. And he did it uh, to fall in line with the uh, the same the same kind of bullshit that we were seeing from the county board of supervisors uh, with Catherine Barger and uh, Janice Hahn. Which, oh yeah, but by the way, Janice Hahn was like scolding us hardcore last week <laughs> at uh, at the board of supervisors. It was, I mean, uh, it's they've got a very different way of handling it. Uh, than the city does at these meetings. Uh, like they've got a woman running around with a giant placard that basically says, shh, meeting in progress. And it's got a picture of a, a profile of a face with fingers lifted up to its mouth. Um, and then also there are just uh, armed sheriff's deputies walking up and down the aisleways, shushing you if you do anything. And one of, uh, one of my, uh, my fellow organizers, like I said last week, she was flipping off Janice Hahn because that's, you know, protected first, Am first amendment speech to be able to express your dissatisfaction with what they're doing. And the, the deputy is like, no, 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 you're not allowed to express yourself like that. It's like, what are you talking about? This is it's just, anyway, getting, getting sidetracked about how much, uh, chiding we got there versus, uh, Herb Wesson seemed much more of a, like, I'm going to sit back and let y'all shout it out. And then afterward, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll pick this up and discuss, but like, let, let the protesters have their say rather than trying to clamp down on it. It was a much more, uh, constructive discussion and, and it was far more reasonable. I thought, 
Um, and like I said, we, we look, it looks like the, the proposed amendments are going to be uh, heavily modified, if not rolled back entirely. So we'll see what, what all ends up happening. But this, this move by Fuhrer was, whew, yeah. Yeah, no, and, and that's the thing that's, like, it's not guaranteed that uh, Martin v. Boise is going in front of the Supreme Court yet. It's not on the docket. Uh, so they could punt on it, and then the Ninth Circuit Court decision will stand. Um, but if it does go in front of the Supreme Court, like, that's really scary. Because even oh, the yeah. most, like, left members of the Supreme Court are incredibly wealthy people. I think eight of them went to Yale Law. Like, these uh -huh. are not people who exist <laughs> in the normal world. They're not people who are at risk for being unhoused. They're not people who know friends and family who have died on the streets because they couldn't get health care or housing or the help that they needed. So, you know, having this, like judicial branch that is removed from society making decisions about people who are living in the real world is a fundamental dysfunction that we have but that's a, a you know topic for a much broader discussion and we'll <laughs> keep you all updated as this like moves in but it moves yeah. on but it's you know this is it's frustrating that you know council as powerful as they are um only has so many things that they can do here that you know Fuhrer can basically uh, go and make a move that could fundamentally undercut a lot of the good work that activists and that the city and that Lhasa has been doing over the years. Yeah. And it's it's another move that you just don't understand. You know, when Fuhrer was like, well, we need to know guidance. Like, how many beds do we need? It's like, I don't know, Mike, how many effing people are on the street? Like, that yeah, seems it, to be the number of beds you need. Like, yeah. if there are 27,000 people on house, you need 27,000 beds. And I know Martin V. Boise set a different standard, and it, it doesn't have to be a one-to-one -one matchup because people aren't going to stay in shelter beds forever. But that also assumes that there's going to be housing they can move into. And we know that people yeah. are not staying in bridge housing for 90 days. I think they're staying in there for almost twice as long because there's nowhere for them to move so this is like before i start yelling too much because i know in the next <laughs> segment i'm going to be yelling a lot yeah uh you know we'll we'll uh obviously be coming back to this one very often especially like if la has another really wet and rainy winter like that's really bad for people's health if you don't have a dry place to go and like no, shelter sure. to seek it's, you know it's and really a lot of the tents that yeah, and a lot of the tents that people are living in are not weather rated. They're not no. meant to take, you know, three days worth of rain. They're not, you know, on ground that is sucking in the water. It's just concrete, and that water seeps up into your stuff and destroys your stuff, and it becomes moldy. And it just a whole host of little problems that are, like, so easy to solve if we would actually take, you know, $1.6 billion and put it towards solving the homelessness crisis and not towards LAPD, which yeah. leads me on to our next segment. Cops, y'all. So uh, this one, we got a, a few different stories oh. to cover, um, a, sort of in a quick succession. Uh, the first one we're going to talk about is the shooting that happened at the Costco uh, between an off-duty cop and the French family, an off-duty LAPD officer, and Kenneth French, who was nonverbal and suffered from schizophrenia. Uh, his mother and father were also both shot by the cop, even though none of them really presented a danger. Um, let's go ahead and talk about what decision just came down in this one. Yeah, so the officer in question, Salvador Sanchez of the Los Angeles Police Department Southwest Division, uh, will not be facing any consequences, um, at least not in terms of a, a, a criminal prosecution for this. Uh, basically, the district attorney uh, in Riverside County pulled together, uh, like there was a panel of 19 members in a grand jury. Uh, they were presented with the, the compelled uh, testimony from eyewitnesses, 
Uh, they got to hear uh, damning and exculpatory evidence presented from all the different sides. They got to see some really grainy security camera footage that shows really nothing. Um, like it's very hard to tell what the hell is going on in the security camera footage because it's like one tiny little fraction of the screen that they've had to magnify to show what's going on, and you can still barely tell. Um, yeah. What's, what's going on here is that this, this 19-member grand jury decided that no charges were warranted against Sanchez in this fatal shooting. Uh, again, Kenneth French, he was 32 years old. He was nonverbal. He was uh, apparently a schizophrenic. There's discussion that came out recently that says that like his he had recently changed his medications, and so maybe he was behaving a little bit differently. Um, but the officer in question was allegedly hit on the head, uh, rendered unconscious, and then woke up uh, and started fighting for his life, quote unquote. Um, and it was 3.8 seconds from when he was hit on the head to when the shots were fired. So that was a very quick time period, you know, of getting hit on the head, falling to the ground, getting back up again, pulling out your gun, and all of this happening in, in addition to uh, going unconscious in the middle of it. It uh, doesn't seem to add up to me. Um, nope. It's, it seems pretty patently absurd that this is, this is what the term determination was, uh, there, the police officer had announced that he was a police officer to, uh, Kenneth French, uh, prior to this happening. The Kenneth's father had stepped in between the two of them, uh, in order to try to smooth things out. So it's, uh, there's, Honestly, I feel like there's more questions now uh, that this 19-member grand jury has decided not to move forward with charges. Uh, the There were accusations. I think that's the thing that, that amazes me the most is like, you know what, let's, let's give the, the grand jury the benefit of the doubt and say that Kenneth French was a clear and present danger to the safety of the officer and the officer's child. Like, yeah. Salvador Sanchez and his daughter were attacked. Sure, I'll, we'll grant that for the, the purpose of this argument. The French, like his parents, they were not, and they were both shot. And so that now the argument that the grand jury is allowing to stand is like, if you're trying to kill someone in public, you can also shoot bystanders, and that's not a crime. And this is so beyond the pale for me that That's you can very, shoot very innocent bystanders and not face any any sort of legal ramifications for that as long as you've got a badge. Yeah. So there's there uh, this is going to be moving forward uh in uh no longer in the criminal case. Uh there's still the potential of uh, a lawsuit being brought by the French family. Um and then there's also the well <laughs> <laughs> There's also the potential that who knows maybe the uh, uh, LAPD commissioners are going to decide that this was a, uh, a, a, a a matter that requires some kind of um, uh, punishment from within the Los Angeles Police Department and some kind of uh, either you know desk duty or hopefully getting fired and no longer allowed to carry a gun because he is uh, frankly a pretty clear and present danger to a, any member of the community that is uh, a, a, peace, a, a bystander in these kind of circumstances if he gets upset. Uh, like this is, there's a lot going on here and it's unfortunate that uh, you know, the criminal process is, is, is now dead in the water. 
Um, but there is still potentially civil suit and potentially uh, the board of commissioners from the LAPD uh, making some kind of a determination as to whether or not he's, his behavior was out of policy or in conflict with their general rules. But uh, we've seen that even if your actions are ruled to be out of policy, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that anything is going to happen. Uh, that's, that was the case of what we were talking about uh, last week when we were talking about the uh, officer Edward Agdepa who had shot uh, Albert Raymond Dorsey uh, and you know al also the situation with like Ryan Lee and Martin Robles who shot Grishario Mack uh, like this is a thing that keeps happening so even if you're even if your actions are ruled to be out of policy you still don't necessarily suffer any real any meaningful consequences uh you know, when you're on the job and killing people. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's, it's <laughs> uh, well, and also this week we, there was a story that came out that we're not going to cover too much. I just found it kind of uh, tragic, hilarious that an off duty uh, LA County Sheriff's deputy and an off duty LAPD officer uh, got into a sort of firefight with each other because the deputy was driving aggressively and the off duty LAPD officer decided to follow him and they had oh, an interaction what? and the deputy like pulled out his gun and was going to threaten the other officer with it and instead accidentally fired it and shot himself in the leg. And, oh, you know, keep in mind that LAPD, as Michael Kohlhaas just reported, wants officers to carry their sidearms or carry a sidearm on them even when they're off duty. And um, bad idea, folks, like really terribly bad idea. But cops carrying guns, whether they've got their uniform on or not, just yeah. seems like a recipe for disaster. And you don't see that anywhere else in the developed world. You know, like British cops don't carry sidearms like on duty or off duty. And surprisingly, they shoot a hell of a lot fewer people than our cops It's weird. Do. It's weird how that, that like, that works. Like it's just utterly bizarre. You don't put <laughs> guns in their hands, and fewer people get shot. It's amazing. I, I pure coincidence. I tell you, there's definitely no causality there whatsoever. <sighs> yeah. Um, this so this also brings up something. Oh. I, I was just going to say like that 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 brought to mind uh, another story that we're not going to really talk about, but we should definitely talk about soon, and probably next week we'll go into details on it. Um, but there are a, a number of county deputies that are suing. Uh, the county of Los Angeles, because yep. the uh, the banditos uh, are a horrible group of people. Uh, so yeah, they, no, we're we're definitely going to dig into that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll dig into that oh. one soon because it's it's <laughs> juicy and salacious and terrible. Yeah. And uh, we'll talk about uh, that. Next our, week. our our boy Carl Mondayan, he uh, he definitely makes an appearance in the lawsuit. Oh, does he? So oh, oh yeah, it's oh, it's great. Jesus. Uh, but yeah, but you know what? It, it's a good thing you brought up the sheriff's department uh, because now we we want to turn our attention to the shooting of Ryan Twyman, who was the young yeah. man who was shot. I, like 30 times, like the 34 two deputies just, mm -hmm. yeah, just unloaded on him and another man in a car um, after they s decided to like talk to them in a, yeah. in a, yeah, in a uh, parking lot after the two had committed no crime um, and ended up killing a person. So let's talk about what's going on with uh, these two deputies. Yeah. So just as a, a, a little bit more backup or background on this, uh, <laughs> Not a good choice of backup because the uh, deputies decided not to call <laughs> for any. Uh, they uh, just to, to recap what was in the video, like the the cops, the deputies uh, pulled up out of sight of uh, Twyman and his passenger uh, and then like snuck up on the car with their sidearms drawn 
and you know opened the back passenger door of the car and started Fourth Amendment what yeah mm-hmm. yeah so anyway uh, the the main thing here yeah, like go go watch the video and get extremely angry um, because this is just patently absurd behavior uh, we now know the names uh, so the names of the sheriff's deputies who frankly murdered Ryan Twyman uh, were released. Their names are Andrew Lyons and Christopher Muse. Uh, we and you know our allies in Black Lives Matter are calling on Sheriff Villanueva to immediately fire them and for District Attorney uh, Jackie Lacey to prosecute them to the fullest extent of the law because this, uh, it, it's, this kind of behavior is what we are talking about when we're saying like there is a fundamental problem with policing in this country. This is exemplary behavior of how awful it can be and how just completely like there's no possible way that this kind of behavior is in any way within any frame of acceptability. Uh, like having the cops sneaking up on a car with their weapons drawn and then, uh, you know, startling a, a, per, a person who they were uh, allegedly looking for him to make an arrest and, and, and charge him on some kind of a gun possession charge. Uh, they didn't know whether or not he had a gun. They just assumed he did. Turns out he didn't. And they went in guns blazing, basically. And it... Yep. Jesus, 34 rounds were fired. And the, like the, the one of those, one of these cops running back to the car, pulling out uh, a, an assault style rifle and taking cover behind a pickup truck and then, you know, unloading more rounds into the car as it rolled backwards in reverse uh, before it slammed into a, you know, another part of the parking structure that it was in the, the, the garage area. It, it's just, uh, it's absurd, absolutely absurd. And yep. Villanueva absolutely needs to fire them, but he won't because that's totally out of character for him to do that. Uh, and District Attorney Jackie Lacey uh, most likely won't prosecute either because, you know, as she's been in office for, uh, I don't even remember how many years now, six, eight years? Uh, seven uh, years no, since 2013. So, tw- 2012. Okay. Sorry, December 2012. 2012. Yeah. So seven years. So she's up for re-election. And she needs to not be reelected, frankly. She should have resigned from this position because she is grossly negligent in performing her duty uh, of protecting the public and actually trying to you know, meaningfully make a difference in the, in, <laughs> frankly, we have the most deadly police forces in the country uh, are here in LA and we are not doing anything about them. Uh, and she is yeah. at the root of that. So. But uh, there are there are some other things that you can do uh, to support yes. Black Lives Matter's work uh, and take direct action, not just for the shooting. Since Jackie Lacey started in December 2012, LAPD and LA County Sheriff's Office have killed over 500 people. 500 people. So out of all of those murders, only one has resulted in a prosecution that took oh, like geez. seven years to even begin to get to trial. Uh, and that one was a real yep. fight to make that one happen. So... If you want to see some action on this, what can people do to get involved, Chris? A couple of easy easy things to do. First, call LAPD Chief Michael Moore and demand that he fires Officer Edward Adgepa for the murder of Albert Raymond Dorsey, as well as Officers Ryan Lee and Martin Robles for the murder of Grishario Mack. The number to call, 213-486-0150. Again, 
213-486-0150. You can also sign and share the petition that Black Lives Matter has circulating uh, to demand the LAPD chief, Michael Moore, again, fire these officers, Specifically related to the the the, uh, the murder of Grishario Mack inside Crenshaw Mall that takes place on April tenth, twenty eighteen. Nothing has come out of it. Uh, the petition is at tinyurl.com slash capital G R E C H A R I O. Uh, none of the rest of it's capitalized, just the G. Uh, and so so far, there's a, there are sixty five hundred signatures mm-hmm. on that petition, and nothing is happening. And we need to be louder. We need to be angrier, and we need to make this actually fucking happen. Um, other things you can do: cancel your membership at Twenty Four Hour Fitness, and tell everyone that you know to cancel it in the names of Albert Raymond Dorsey and Dennis Todd Rogers. These are the two black men that were both killed in Twenty Four Hour Fitness locker rooms. Um, or rather, uh, Albert Raymond Dorsey was killed in a locker room. I forget where Dennis Todd Rogers was killed, but it was out in front, uh, out in front of the 24 hour fitness. OK, uh, yeah. yeah. The, and he was just he had, he didn't even go in. It was just the staff was like, this guy's uh, hanging around too long. We want him gone. So the cops, you know, executed him. him on the street. Yeah. So uh, these these things need action. And uh, another great way to get involved is every Wednesday uh, there is a an action uh, hosted by Black Lives Matter and their allies, including Ground Game, uh, White People for Black Lives, DSA Los Angeles and a number of other groups that show up to support Every single Wednesday, they've been doing this for almost two years now, protesting in front of the Hall of Justice, uh, referred to as the Hall of Injustice because there's not any justice coming out of it, uh, protesting that Jackie Lacey needs to resign and uh, you know, airing the uh, grievances of the family, welcoming the, the grieving members of the families uh, of these, of these uh, killed predominantly black and brown men, uh, young men typically to to bring these families in and give them space to uh honor the memories of the loved ones that have been executed and to demand action so that's every wednesday uh it starts at uh five o'clock in front of the hall of justice uh it's not hard to find them because there there's the it's the only area that's been uh, barricaded off every single wednesday uh in oh, the no, uh, starts at starts at 4 p.m just oh, to correct I'm you real sorry. quick they start at four yeah starts yep. at four my apologies um the 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 it's the only area that's been barricaded off consistently every single week because they don't want to uh uh, they don't trust them. Uh, it's, it's, yeah. So, uh, and to get more information on what's going on with Black Lives Matter Los Angeles, the campaign's an email. Uh, send an email over to email blmla at gmail.com. Follow them on social media at blmla on Twitter uh, and at BLA, BLM Los Angeles on Instagram. <sighs> yep. It's All right. Just, so moving yeah. on to uh, one of the, the groups that <laughs> vexes me so. Oh my Vexes. Buddha! Ah, do they rub rhymes. me the wrong way? And <laughs> why do they rub you the no wrong inoculation. way, <laughs> there, there is no inoculation against their stupidity. But like, so I, I mentioned this pretty often because it's a big part of my life, but I'm a type one diabetic. Yep. So I'm what is called an immunocompromised person. My immune system doesn't work that well. And what's yeah. weird about being a diabetic is my disease, like my chronic illness comes from my immune system working too well. Like my immune system at some point in my adolescence kicked into overdrive and killed off all of the useful cells in my pancreas that produce insulin. And it's basically my 
my body is attacking itself and made it so I can't uh, metabolize sugar. I can't, once carbohydrates break down in my system, instead of them getting absorbed into cells and turning into you know energy for my body to use, uh, they just thicken my blood and cause all sorts of like fun damage. And that's how you get like neuropathy where my blood becomes so thick that it kills off the capillaries that, that feed my nervous system and allow like my nerves to function correctly. Um, and a whole bunch of like other stuff. But one of the other downsides to this is when I do get sick, like if I get the flu, I can die. Yeah. And that's almost happened to me. When I was 27, I got the flu flu. And most people, when they say like, oh, I got the flu, they didn't get the flu. They just got a nasty cold. But I got the actual like viral flu. And I ended up at the ICU for a week Jeez. because that stuff can kill someone like me. And so when we talk about measles and mumps and tuberculosis and pneumonia uh, and smallpox and all these other viral diseases that you can get a vaccine against, you're not just getting that vaccine to protect yourself. Like in a lot of ways, it won't stop you necessarily from getting the disease, but it will make your immune system more effective, but also builds what's called herd immunity. And if you can get 90% mm -hmm. of a population inoculated against a disease, that disease cannot get enough of a foothold to mutate and become stronger and spread effectively, which Isn't is how viruses like replicate. It's, it's around 90. It okay. depends on the disease, but yeah, like 90 yeah. is about what you're aiming for on a global average because there's also like, there are certain people who can't get vaccines for various reasons because they're immunocompromised, because they have other chronic illnesses or genetic disorders that don't allow their bodies to function well with vaccines. That's why you as a healthy person get vaccinated. It's not just so you don't get the flu. It's so that someone in your life who's going through chemo doesn't catch the flu from you if you're carrying it and then get put in mortal danger. So in California, we've seen in places like Malibu, uh, vaccine rates plummet. And then diseases like measles skyrocket. Yep. And this is super frustrating because one of the things that researchers have noticed, especially with measles, is when you introduce the measles vaccine into a population and you start vaccinating children, childhood mortality rates plummet. Yeah. Because when you get the measles when you're older, like if you get the measles when you're like nine years old, it's not just you getting the measles. The measles wipes out your immune system. Your immune system has to start from scratch, which means you're much more likely to catch other diseases and die, even though you'd already been exposed to them. So getting children vaccinated for measles protects them for life. And yet we have rich white people in Malibu who are like, no, no, I don't trust pharma, which, you know what, you're right, but maybe trust vaccines and the science. But yeah. so we had a bill going through, uh, it went through a, a couple of years ago where they narrowed the number of exemptions that you can get and be like, I don't want my child vaccinated. Yes. Like, I would like my child to be a public health threat. And the government was like, let's not do that. Let's make it super hard for you to get that exemption. Governor Newsom had a bill come across his desk that would further narrow these exemptions. Yep. And one of the weirdest, most surreal scenes that I've ever seen in my life uh, happened where when they were talking about this bill on the floor of the, uh, the California State Senate, uh, a protester in the upper gallery dumped a diva cup full of menstrual blood onto the floor of the Senate. And, and hit I don't even know what to say about that one. Yeah. It's just crazy. It, yeah, so there's, there's actually, so this, we're talking about uh, Senate Bill 276, uh, which was introduced by State Senator Richard Pan out of Sacramento, uh, introduced this measure. And basically what, what, was, what we were trying to do here is that 
there are a number of doctors uh, who are known to basically this this <laughs> this is like the the you can go you can go more, doctor shopping for yeah this, this sort is of the, stuff. like, like the same way people version. go doctor shopping for opioid prescriptions yeah it's, this is the dystopian version of the like call the doctor to get your weed prescription only it's like call the doctor to make it so that your child is a public health uh, hazard and uh, yeah so this is it, it, it's on. It should be on par with the type of criminality associated with doctor shopping for opioids. Um, but yeah, these are, these are doctors, specifically uh, some doctors down in like Orange County, um, and I believe in Marin as well, that uh, were known to provide lots of uh, quote unquote medical exemptions uh, that they were able to then use, parents were able to then use to avoid having to vaccinate their kids. And so this law would propose uh, limiting the types of exemptions that are allowed, uh, specifically focusing on the doctors who are doing this, limiting doctors to making uh, five exemptions per year. Uh, and it, it would propose a bunch of changes that are, are, are absolutely necessary to really start clamping down on this absurd behavior that has been allowed to flourish uh, in California. And it's one of those things that just doesn't make any sense. It's look at all the progress that we've made thanks to the you know advances in medical science. And it's like, oh, wait, let's now blame these for uh, autism and everything else, despite the fact that there's no, no scientific evidence oh, yeah, that the, links the two. The, the one study that's been used over and over and over again to like yeah. provide evidence for that has been thrown out. The doctor has been discredited. I believe he lost like all of his certifications. Like the, there is no actual science that says vaccines are bad. And anecdotally, you can find that like vaccines are good. And like anything in life, I don't want to say vaccines are 100% safe because there is some risk. Yeah. But when you're talking about a social issue like this, the risk reward calculus is pretty easy to do you know when you're balancing literally millions of lives against somebody being harmed like you're probably always going to and should operate to protect the millions and then find ways to protect those people who are vulnerable um not the other way around not trying to create huge carve outs that put millions of people at risk Absolutely. and make you literally a public health hazard um and one thing i do have to note is one of the things that really troubles me about this rhetoric is we've seen it seeking its, we've seen it uh, gaining traction in the developing world. So in places like Pakistan and Afghanistan, the yeah. U.S. anti-vaxxer rhetoric shows up amongst very reactionary elements who use it to murder doctors who are trying to help people. Like well, when and, Jenny and also, McCarthy goes out there and says vaccines are dangerous, there are literally like violent people out there in Pakistan who use that as a reason to murder doctors in public health clinics. Well, yeah, and also we used a doctor doing uh, vaccinations as a way of finding out where bin Laden was. And so that also... Yeah, that wasn't a good move. The, yeah, that was the, uh, an incredibly stupid thing for the uh, national security to basically be like, oh, hey, we're going to use this mechanism for collecting that information, and then it's going to end up getting out. And then suddenly all of the work of uh, doctors actually trying to vaccinate people and uh, you know eliminate child mortality rates... Uh, now they now these doctors are being put at risk. Like there are so many things that have been done that are just complete missteps by uh, 
by uh, uh, folks that are, are, are trying to quote unquote protect the children. Uh, I got to say, like looking at the pictures, so there's, there's an incredible article uh, in the LA Times by Melody Gutierrez, Taryn Luna, and John Myers that was published on September 22nd uh, that basically gives you the complete rundown of where this bill came from to SB 276 and all of the back and forth and incredible amounts of drama that were entailed in this. Like you said, the diva cup full of blood was just like the little, uh, the, just the cherry on top of all of this bullshit that's been going on. And also going to point out like all of the pictures, maybe it was just the pictures that they took. Uh, this is definitely like the whitest group of protesters that I've seen for any cause, uh, ever. Uh, it's and trying to paint themselves as the new civil rights yeah, movement, like it is so oof. cynically bad. It is just galaxy brain takes all over the place. Absolutely, yeah. So it's and uh, I mean, I'm <laughs> flipping through the pictures, and literally everyone who is shouting uh, is uh, definitely there are no people of color present in any of these photos. Um, yeah, so the, the, I would highly recommend that everyone look through this to try to get an understanding of what is going on here and the kind of, uh, the, the kind of fights that our, our legislature has to go through to just make you know, seemingly simple, common sense uh, legislation get through. Like it's, it is a lot of work, especially when people who you expect to be your allies, like Gavin Newsom, uh, are suddenly waffling and not actually taking a firm leadership position on, on the issue as critical as this. Uh, and, and it, you know, it results in massive amounts of confusion, massive amounts of frustration for everybody involved. And this back and forth process that really just, it's, it's baffling. And it is a, uh, quite a saga. I highly recommend reading through this article and getting the full story. It's whew, it was a quite a read, quite a but, read. But after all of that, Gavin Newsom signed the bill. Yes. Limiting exemptions. Uh, after that huge fight, he did fire his public health advisor because she got salty on Facebook and people complained. And, uh, I feel like that was a dumb misstep to give in to these people and their bullying stupidity. And uh, yeah, I'm happy they lost this one. Um, that's still not going to stop them from trying to get around these exemptions and trying to keep their children unvaccinated, which is scary as hell. Yeah. Uh, but you know, as so insofar as the the state of California is concerned, we're making better progress towards getting everyone vaccinated and making sure everyone has access to this kind of life saving uh, medical science. And also from me, you know, we're getting into flu season. Please get your flu shot. It's it's not a 100% guarantee you won't get the flu. The flu mutates very quickly, but we forget that almost, uh, well, a little over a century ago, you know, millions of people died across the globe yep. from the Spanish influenza. Uh, more people were killed by that flu strain than, than were killed in all of World War I. Yep. You know, we are fragile creatures and everything we can do to try and make ourselves stronger and to try and help people among us that are vulnerable is really, really good. And so from one diabetic to everyone out there who's getting vaccinated, Thank you very, very much, because I really don't want to die from the flu. And I feel it, really bad. That would be a crappy I, way to go. I can't get vaccinated for the flu because the way that they, the way that they create the, uh, the vaccine is they, they culture it in yeah. uh, chicken embryos. And because my body has just decided that my immune system is like, yo, chicken, we're not down with that. And so I have a, literally an anaphylactic response to it. Um, I, I, can't get the, uh, I can't get the flu shot. So... 
Uh, I but have see, to... that's that's why we have legitimate exemptions. Exactly. And that's why it's even more important that everyone who can get vaccinated yes. does get vaccinated. 100%. Herd immunity really, really matters. Incredibly so uh, off of that one, we're going to move to somewhat of a, of a happy thing. Uh, so there's a new project going in <laughs> in the Valley, it looks like, or at least moving forward with some permanent supportive housing. Uh, despite the objections of John Lee, um, who we're all going to vote out in March. Hell so yeah, don't get comfy in the seat, John. Uh, but let's talk about what's going on up in the Valley right now. All right. So for a little bit of context here, uh, we've discussed this a number of different times that there were proposals uh, that were made at City Council to produce um, thousands of units of supportive housing uh, by 2020. Um, each of these, each of the city council districts was given a task of generating, I think it was like 650 or something like that, uh, new supportive housing units uh, by this deadline. And we were looking at the, the charts of which districts were on track, which ones were ahead of schedule, and which ones were utterly failing. And it was Bob Blumenfeld and uh, Mitch Englander were the two down at the very bottom. I think Blumenfeld had something like 10 units that he had authorized uh, up in the valley because it is one of the most uh, conservative portions of the city. And then it was Mitch Englander's district in CD12, which was by far the most uh, right wing uh, leaning of the districts because he was the only Republican on city council. Uh, this... His, his district was producing zero units. So John Lee was trying yep. to carry forward that proud tradition of not giving a fuck about homeless people and uh, actually being punitive and uh, as, as destructive to them as possible, it seems, uh, and was not wanting to have this project move forward because people uh, in his district, a, a number of them get very vocal uh, whenever you propose putting homeless people literally anywhere. Like they, they say they show up and they protest in front of any of these proposed sites saying, Oh, is this too close to a school? Which legally under California law is like one of the protected exemptions that you are not allowed to make for where a homeless shelter is placed or for where permanent supportive housing is placed. You cannot use proximity to a school as a justification, but that doesn't stop these folks. Uh, so anyway, the, the, the project is continuing to move forward despite objections from John Lee. Uh, and from just quoting from the LA Times here, quote, if approved, it would be the first homeless housing project in Council District 12, a northwestern stretch of the San Fernando Valley that includes Granada Hills, Northridge and Porter Ranch to be funded under Proposition HHH, a $1.2 billion bond measure approved by voters. As a side note, it was approved by more than 67% of voters, which means that the overwhelming majority of people who live in Los Angeles want to provide these services to the homeless. And we need every single neighborhood to step up and do their part to do this. Uh, getting back to what the LA Times was saying, no new units for homeless people have been built in that area, even as thousands are in the works across Los Angeles. So th again, this is, people exist on the streets because of any number of different reasons. Primarily they're being put there because they are unable to afford the housing that they used to live in. 
People are not moving to Los Angeles because we offer services. People are not moving to Los Angeles because they want to be homeless on the streets here. That is not what is happening. What is happening is people's rents are going up. In a lot of circumstances, these are seniors who are on fixed incomes like Social Security and, and or on their fixed pensions or whatever, and the landlords just keep moving that rent up and up and up and up. And now their former, like where they used to be able to afford, if their income isn't changing but their rent keeps going up, they're now having to decide between whether whether they're going to be eating or if they're going to be continuing to have a roof over their head or if they're going to be able to fill that prescription when they go to the doctor. All of these things start adding up and people end up having to lose that roof over their head because they need to eat, because they need to be able to pay for the other things that keep them alive. And that roof over their head is just like that's one expense that they can simply not afford anymore. This happens all across the city and people tend to stay in the neighborhoods where they used to live. This is overwhelmingly yep. true. Most of the people who you see on the streets, uh, except in the case of Skid Row, because that's just like become the dumping ground of the Los Angeles Police Department and I the mean, Sheriff's that's, Department. I mean, that's what it was created for. It, it uh, was, yes. That, it was that's how thing. it came to be, is they just pushed everyone over there and like displaced people to Skid Row, and now are trying to displace people from Skid Row because suddenly that real estate's valuable. <sighs> yeah, exactly. So anyway, the, the point here is that Every single neighborhood has homeless people in it, and the people who are homeless in those neighborhoods are almost entirely from that neighborhood in the first place. And so saying, oh, we don't want to have these people here, it's like these people used to be your housed neighbors, and then they got evicted because of some shit that happened in their life, and now they are living on the streets in that same neighborhood. They, they are still the same people that were living in a house just down the street from you. Saying that you are like, oh, we don't want them in this neighborhood because they're a danger to us is so completely unempathetic. It is so just awful. And but, saying we hey, want Chris, it remember anywhere when they, else. Remember when they found that mansion full of guns and oh, they decided yeah. to outlaw mansions? It's, <laughs> it's just like that. So, yeah, so yeah. It, fortunately, this is like one more project being built. It is yeah. taking the city and the county of L.A., absolutely effing forever to build any units and they're yeah. definitely going to miss their 10,000 unit target but yep. we are making slow progress towards something well, on top uh, of which that, is they can't good, even build 10,000 units anymore because the costs have just grown so much out yeah. of their control they're looking at well, maybe being able to build 7,000 units out of this 1.2 billion that well, we even, raised even that 7,000 isn't them building 7,000. They're going to reclassify yeah. a couple thousand oh, units right. to make them fit under the, the rubric. But, you know, what I am happy about here is that uh, Lee was too incompetent to actually block this in the right way, and the rest of council <laughs> was able to do an end run around him. So it's if he's going to keep rolling with that type of leadership, he's going to have a really fun march. Uh, but let's move on to our last story <laughs> of the day uh, that we're going to kind of work through real quick. Uh, but PG&E uh, finally came to a settlement for the campfire. Uh, let's talk about that one because it was almost, uh, you know, we were talking about a bailout and then we were talking about everyone having to pay into an insurance fund. Um, but we kind of got an answer on this one as the state figures out what they're going to do about our incredibly dangerous utilities that keep burning down our cities. Yeah. So PG&E, uh, as we discussed before, they're, they're currently going through um, bankruptcy protection. Uh, they filed for bankruptcy because they burned a lot of people's houses down and were on the hook for a whole lot of liability. So the and insurance killed 85 people and killed 85 people. So, uh, the, basically what happened was that two weeks ago, PG and E and their insurers reached an $11 billion settlement. Um, what's interesting with this is that originally this is, it was supposed to be a, uh, a total of $16.9 billion that was going to be paid out. Um, 
for uh, what was it, $8.5 billion that was supposed to go to the insurance companies to basically reimburse them for payouts that they've made to the victims of this fire, of these fires. Um, and so the, it was supposed to be $8.5 billion that would go to the insurance companies and $8.4 billion that would be going to the individual victims uh, for a total of $16.9 billion. These numbers are, I'm getting from uh, the Sacramento Bee. Uh, what's interesting about this $11 billion is that that is obviously more than either the $8.5 or $8.4 billion that was previously discussed. And so it's, there are some discussions that have been going on and some uh, allegations that have been made that uh, basically the insurance companies are bas- are getting to dip into the pool of money that would otherwise be going to the individual victims. Uh, so this is still a very contentious issue. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's going to be going on. PG&E, it, you know, uh, we are both very clear in where we stand on this issue. We believe that it should be yeah. made into a, you, you should municipalize PG&E. Uh, the state should be running it or local municipalities should be running the sections of PG&E that operate within their jurisdiction. Uh, we cannot trust PG&E to protect us because that just has been shown over and over and over again that they do not know what they are doing. They do not know how to provide the basic maintenance that's required to keep these things safe. And they've just done an absolute horseshit job of keeping us safe and, and providing power at reasonable rates without, um, you know, putting everybody's lives at risk because they just don't know how to do their job anymore. And it's, we, utilities just, if, if it's operated for the public good, it should be owned by the public. End of story. There's, and it should be owned by the public anyways. Yeah. Like it, part of Bernie's like Green New Deal plan was municipalize utilities across the country because we should be the ones making those decisions, not the shareholders. And one of the really messed up parts about the campfire mm-hmm. is for people who still live in paradise, whose homes didn't burn down, like even though 80% of that city was destroyed, there were still like several hundred homes that survived, but all of the infrastructure was burned. Like yeah. the sewers and the water pipes don't work. And yet when these people went to the insurance companies, be like, I would like to file a claim on my house. And the insurance company is like, oh no, your house is still standing. We're not giving you a payout on that. And people are stuck living in houses where they don't have power. They don't have water. They don't have working sewage. Like it's basically an uninhabitable house under any standard. And yet they can't sell it because nobody wants to buy a house in a burned out hellscape. And they also can't move out of it. Some people have just left their houses abandoned, I guess, maybe wanting to come back or maybe figuring like, They'll just take the loss. But the insurance companies here have been incredibly greedy and like making wildfires like this something where it's an issue between the homeowner and a private insurance company that's also for profit is always going to leave the homeowners on the hook. Now, in order to try and avoid this in the future, PG&E has announced that they're going to be rolling out uh, uh, power shutoffs during high wind and high fire risk times. And this is something that San Diego, uh, their utility has been doing for years and has had some success with. It's hard to gauge whether or not, you know, it stopped wildfires from starting. San Diego definitely hasn't seen as many destructive wildfires as like the northern end of the state uh, in in recent years. But the promise that PG&E is giving is that they'll give at least 48 hours notice before they would have a shutoff. And they'll, they'll make these sort of warnings based on what the, the weather reports are and what mm-hmm. the like 
expected conditions will be in the next few days. So it's not going to be like you, you know, in the middle of the day, you lose power without warning. Uh, at least that's how the system is supposed to work. Yeah. You could get up to a week's notice. Uh, but one of <laughs> the other things to like point out about this is like, that, hey, so the power might just shut off at some point in the next week because of uh, Santa Ana winds. Like it's a high wind advisory. Yeah. And this is something that's entirely predictable and happens every single year. And you're just going to lose your power. Yep. And it's, it's something that's really dangerous for people who rely on medical equipment at home or have oh, other absolutely. needs where, like, they need power all the time or the fact that you just, like, would like to use your stove. But beyond that, the there's some evidence that, that would show that, like, the campfire wouldn't have been preventable even if this was in place by PG&E because that was not an area that would have been identified as a power shutoff under these conditions. So there's a lot of questions here about how effective this is going to be. PG&E has announced that they're going to be putting all of their power lines underground finally, something that they could have oh, done geez. decades ago <laughs> and avoided this entire situation, but it's way more expensive to put the power lines underground yeah. and they just didn't want to spend money on that because, you know, if they spend money on proper infrastructure and maintenance, then that's less money to give to the shareholders yeah. who are ultimately the point of having a privatized utility. It's not to deliver power. It's not to serve customers. It's to enrich the shareholders. So yep. as long as we have this private ownership, we're always going to be getting the short end of the stick because capitalism effing sucks. Yeah, let's so, uh, go ahead and include uh, the, the soundbite <laughs> from uh, from Means TV where they say that's a capitalism because that's exactly Yep, exactly. Um, yeah, so one other thing worth pointing out really quick before we move on to wrap everything up here. Uh, these folks in paradise and the victims of these fires across the state year after year after year, when you get displaced because of wildfires that are being exacerbated because of climate change, you are a climate refugee. This is something that is going yes. to be expanding. It's going to be getting so much worse. We're going to be seeing massive amounts of migration from uh, the global south because they're going to be hit harder by these kinds of climactic changes that are going to be resulting in more fires, in more flooding, in more hurricanes, in more destruction of uh, cropland and people's homes and all of these things like the only thing that's not going to be getting worse is like a fucking volcano because that's you know not actually climate change although it'll definitely make climate change worse but that's an aside point is like natural disasters like this are kind of natural but they're also extremely exacerbated because of the kinds of changes that we are making to this planet and these are climate refugees when sunrise movement and everybody else are talking about climate refugees and frontline communities this is what we are talking about these are the people who are now do not have homes and there are, you know, what was it, like yep. 60,000 people or some huge number of people that were, were displaced out of paradise because they cannot live there anymore because they are climate refugees. We are going to be seeing this get worse in the next couple of years. And we need to be taking so many dramatic steps to get out in front of this because we know what's coming. We know that we've only experienced a taste of it so far. Seeing 85 people die in the campfire last year was just the beginning. There are going to be more deaths from fires this year, and there will be more deaths the year after that, and it will just keep getting worse. We need to be making these changes, and we needed to have been making these changes five fucking years ago. But at least now, as yep. you mentioned earlier when we were talking about the climate strike last Friday, things seem to be moving in the right direction finally. So thank you for letting me go on a little diatribe like that. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, no worries. But we'll yeah. uh, we'll go ahead and uh, uh, move towards our, our little wrap up. Uh, obviously, like I mentioned at the top, there's a climate strike tomorrow. If you're in LA, yeah. make your way out to the Brazilian embassy. Uh, this is going to wrap up the week of climate action. But this is not the last climate strike that you are going to see. There is more stuff in the works, and we'll keep you updated as that's coming up. Uh, if you get a chance, connect with the local Sunrise Hub. Connect with your local Extinction Rebellion group. Connect with 350. Connect with Code Pink. Connect with like literally any of the hundreds of groups across this country and across California that are getting active and getting people energized to work on this uh, and get ready for March. Like March is going to be huge. Yeah, that primary is. election is going to set the tone of this country as we enter into a, a very crisis prone period. And we really, really, really need to clean house. You know, yep. I may very much vote the bums out voter this year. Yeah, yes, very much so. Uh, and there will be another climate strike coming up in uh, November. Uh, and on top of that, we're in terms of things that are happening more immediately, uh, next week, potentially, uh, 4118, these proposed changes that we discussed uh, in length at the top of the, of the podcast, uh, those are going to be going forward. There were more discussion on them will be happening at the council's, city council's Homelessness and Poverty Committee meeting, which is going to be happening on Wednesday, October 2nd. Uh, I believe it's 3 p.m. I want to double check on that one. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have... They haven't actually announced what the agenda is, so we can't exactly tell. Yeah. Uh, but like last, uh, la yeah, so they happen at 3 p.m. They're in room 1010. Uh, last week, uh, we did have uh, the, the, this meeting, and it did get uh, very heated. It was a, a good event to be at. Uh, we'll see if they're going to end up discussing it at the one coming up this coming Wednesday, uh, October 2nd. Again, that's 3 p.m. room 1010 at City Hall. Uh, we've got a number of meetings happening for the Los Angeles Tenants Union that is going to be coming up. Uh, the 1st of October is a sustainability meeting uh, that is going to be happening from 7 to 9 p.m., but they don't say where. Uh, then they've got the West Side Local that's going to be happening from 6.30 to 8.30 on Wednesday, the 2nd, uh, at the Oakwood Rec Center. Uh, there is the East Side Local for Latu that's going to be meeting uh, between 7 and 9 at the um, 5500 Hollywood Boulevard, 4th floor. Uh, there's also the mid city local, which is going to be meeting at, uh, the uh, union building 4308, uh, or sorry, union 4308, which is at 4067 West Pico. Uh, they're meeting from seven to nine. And then, uh, there's going to be another meeting of the vibe local on Thursday, as they always do right at the same time that ground game meets, um, between seven and 9 PM on October 3rd at UTLA. Uh, on the 10th floor. So, and of course, there's also going to be uh, more action at the Hall of Justice on Wednesday at four o'clock uh, as Black Lives Matter and their allies will be out uh, demanding the resignation of Jackie Lacey and the prosecution of killer cops. Uh, we'll also be meeting on Thursdays, as always, at 7.30 for Ground Game Los Angeles at 5617 Hollywood Boulevard. Uh, there will be a number on the door to give a call to get buzzed in. And uh, we hope to see you all there. So, in uh, yeah, basically, as always, if you've yep. got events that you want us to be publicizing, uh, taking part in, or generally being made aware of, go ahead and send us a message through the Ground Game LA Facebook page. We do actually check it, and uh, we're pretty quick to respond, uh, especially Bushido over there. Uh, you can also send an email over to podcast at groundgamela.org. Uh, as always, follow us on Twitter at groundgamela, at Bushido Squirrel, at Christopher Roth, on Instagram 
Instagram at Ground Game LA. And of course, like and follow the Ground Game LA Facebook page for all of our live streamed content from our actions around the city, as well as the links from our publication arm, Knock. And of course, you can read stories from our comrades and sometimes the two of us dabbling a bit over at Knock.LA. If you'd like to read the sources that we're citing or quoting here for yourself, check out the list of articles that are cited in the episode description on SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever it is that you're listening to us rant and rave about local politics here in Los Angeles. Thank you very much for joining us. And uh, yeah, Bushido. Yeah. And remember, your work for the next week is to give up your fairy tales of endless economic growth. We got to destroy capitalism and save the planet. Come with us. It's going to be fun. We do karaoke. It's great. Have a good week.